KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. Good morning, I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Wednesday, June 28th. A legal fight to view the Chula Vista PD's drone footage. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. The San Diego City Council voted 5-4 to four yesterday to give final approval to a ban on homeless encampments. It will make it illegal to camp in the city if shelter beds are available. And regardless of shelter availability, it will make it illegal to camp near schools, parks, transit hubs, and along waterways. The ordinance now heads to the mayor's desk for signature and is expected to go into effect within the next few months. The County Board of Supervisors yesterday voted to declare a local state of emergency over the sewage from Tijuana polluting the county's beaches. The county is asking the state and federal government to also issue emergency declarations to speed up the response to the problem and access to more resources to address it. Supervisor Tara Lawson-Reamer says the declaration also puts pressure on the Mexican government to expedite repairs on the other side of the border. San Diego County officially has a new budget for the 2023-2024 fiscal year. It includes increases in spending on mental and behavioral health services, such as expanding the county's mobile crisis response teams. Here's Board of Supervisors Chair Nora Vargas on how the budget will address the region's homelessness crisis. Our budget is committed to making sure that $25 million is um, going to help us build more affordable housing through the Innovative Housing Trust Fund and uh, $5.8 million to homeless prevention for families experiencing homelessness. The budget passed unanimously. A local newspaper and the Chula Vista Police Department are in a legal fight about reviewing drone video footage. This is about how police agencies across the country want to use new technology for surveillance, and they don't want to show the public how they're using it. More on that story coming up after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the National Conflict Resolution Center. Topics like political polarization and hybrid work policies can create workplace conflict. NCRC can help workplace leaders navigate divisive issues with the culture, communication, and conflict certificate. More at ncrconline.com. The ongoing push and pull over what the public can know about data picked up by police surveillance tools is playing out in local courts. Any day now, a state appeals court will decide whether to hear a case about a fight to review the Chula Vista Police Department's drone footage. With more, we have investigative reporter Amitha Sharma. Each day, Chula Vista police officers deploy drones like this one to respond to 911 calls, investigate crimes, search for missing people, among other tasks. The agency's police chief, Roxana Kennedy, elaborates in a department video on how vital she believes the drone's high-powered cameras are to law enforcement. Drones provide invaluable information to officers, sharing with them a visual into what is actually occurring It makes all the difference to officers, dispatchers, and supervisors 
making split-second decisions. In a nod to privacy rights, Chula Vista police say on their website that their rules bar using drones for surveillance or general patrol. Art Castaneras is publisher of the Latino newspaper La Prensa San Diego. He wants to corroborate on his own whether that's true, whether police are hovering over somebody's house looking into a backyard. He says he is all for Chula Vista police using drones and he trusts officers are not spying on residents. Nonetheless, trust but verify. All we're trying to do is to confirm how these are being used. Two years ago, Castaneras filed a California Public Records Act request. He asked Chula Vista police to turn over footage from all drone flights for the month of March 2021. The department refused, claiming the footage was investigative and therefore exempt from disclosure. Castaneras sued. In April, a San Diego County Superior Court judge sided with Chula Vista police. The department declined an interview with KPBS citing litigation. Castaneras has asked the 4th District Court of Appeal to hear the case. A decision is pending. Despite the lower court loss, Castaneras argues the law is on his side. There's no difference in the fact that the video is strapped to a drone than if it was a body cam worn by a police officer. These have all been ruled to be disclosable. Brian Hofer runs the Oakland-based Secure Justice, which advocates for reining in surveillance technology. He says the San Diego judge's ruling that Chula Vista police need not turn over the drone footage to Castaneras because it is investigative, if unchallenged, could lead to a dystopian future. Hofer contends the court's decision, in effect, says the video can't be released in case a future crime arises. And that makes us all suspects. Obviously, our country was founded on the exact opposite principle of innocent until proven guilty, that you cannot surveil us if there's no reasonable suspicion or probable cause and collect such data. Hofer says the ruling also forces the public to accept Chula Vista police at their word that the drone footage is investigative without independent verification. He argues the impact of that is huge then transparency into policing is dead. It's dead on arrival. And all the hard work of reform efforts, it's going to die on the vine because you're not going to have the information that you need to suggest policy changes or to hold people accountable. Albert Fox Kahn is executive director of the New York-based Surveillance Technology Oversight Project. He agrees with Hofer, but he also worries about privacy interests if the Chula Vista Police drone video is made public. The idea that a police department could fly a drone over my backyard and then anyone who wanted to could get that footage, that to me is a concerning situation. Meanwhile, Art Castanera says the point of his lawsuit against Chula Vista Police extends beyond the city's borders. This is about how police agencies across the country want to use new technology for surveillance, and they don't want to show the public how they're using it. More than 5,000 public safety agencies across the nation use drones, according to DroneResponders.org. About two-thirds are law enforcement departments. Amita Sharma, KPBS News. We're seeing an increase in the number of hate crimes reported across the state. Reporter Katie Heisen looked at what changed last year. Reported hate crimes rose 20% last year in California to more than 2,000. They were more likely to result in conviction, 
even if on lesser charges. They range from property crimes like vandalism to violent crimes like assault and murder. By far, the largest share of these were racially motivated against Black people. Though reported anti-Asian hate crimes fell by almost half last year, they're still at record highs, not seen before COVID. Attorney General Rob Bonta says the data are not surprising. The 2022 California hate crime data report shows us statistically what we already know to be true from our lived experience. Bonta connected the slew of anti-trans legislation across the country to the doubling of anti-trans and gender non-conforming hate crimes in California. We're seeing uh, action and data that follows the rhetoric. Reports likely represent a small portion of committed crimes, and some groups may report at higher rates than others. A rise in reported hate crimes might also show that more people are able and willing to report. Katie Heisen, KPBS News. Coming up, a local esports program is creating a community around gaming for kids and teens. We'll have that story and more just after the break. Stay close. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. Cybersecurity is the focus of a summer camp this week for high school students from across the county. Education reporter M.G. Perez has that story. The curriculum includes extensive programs and protection strategies to keep cyber criminals from stealing personal data. A couple of dozen high school students are at the University of San Diego this week for the Cyber Prep Summer Camp. 17-year-old Jonathan Yarconi will be a senior this fall at the Jacobs High Tech High. He also wants to be a mechanical engineer someday. I'm not interested in giving out any more of my personal information to data brokers than I absolutely need to, but there's only so much you can do without going full paranoid and just losing internet functionality. The USD training covers everything from protecting passwords and bank accounts to creating programs to protect the students' families from cyber attacks. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. Another activity kids may be up to this summer is playing video games. My colleague Jade Heidman has more on how eSports is bringing community to what is often considered a solitary pastime. Oh my God, there's literally three seconds left. No, no. Oh my God, no, no, no. <laughs> well, now it's even. You're hearing the sound of kids playing Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, a crossover fighting game. It's a massively popular game with an audience that ranges from children to professional esports players. And while esports leagues are often concentrated in high schools and colleges, one local esports program is focusing on younger kids and teens. Their goal? 
is to create a safe space for young people to play and develop their gaming prowess, while also building a tight-knit community that helps them find their niche. Here to talk more about that program is Christian Chamberlain. He is the Digital Enrichment Coordinator at YMCA Mission Valley. Christian, welcome. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you. So tell me, what's your background in gaming and esports? So as far as with gaming, I mean, I'm just an avid gamer. I've grown up with it my whole life. Uh, grew up playing Smash Brothers from the N64 on. So absolutely love that game. It, has, it holds a special place in my heart. <laughs> but with the esports community, I actually am pretty fresh to it uh, as far as it goes. Uh, YMCA gave us a wonderful opportunity to branch into esports. It's something that all of YMCA USA is trying to really break into. But here in San Diego, I feel like we've made some massive traction. And it's been just a lot of fun working with the youth and now expanding to the teens and hopefully soon 18 and up leagues as well out of our new studio. So much has changed in the gaming world. When yeah. I was little, it was all about Super Mario Brothers. And uh, that's still top game to me. I don't know. Oh, it's still a classic. Everybody loves it. And actually, we had some teens in the center and about six of them just wanted to play Mario Brothers. And they're like, okay, <laughs> let's get it set up. Here we go. Let's keep it classic. It's great, you know. <laughs> so, so tell me, how does the program at the YMCA actually work? Yeah, so actually over the past year, we've had some amazing participation where it was just purely virtual. So the kids were playing from home and they would interact with us via Discord or other voice or video chats uh, where they were talking directly to Y staff. Uh, we set up tournaments that way. We had in-person meetups so that the kids can get comfortable with one another. But with our new remodel that we just finished, we're bringing all the esports in-house. So we're going to be following an in-person setup where all the kids are going to be going up against one another. Esports for Smash Brothers is very specific with the rules, though. So it is 1v1. So it's a skill-based game, right? So while it still is a team sport because we're trying to cultivate that, think of it more of a something similar to wrestling. Wrestling is a team sport, but it is individual at the same time, right? So that's kind of the the model that we are following and it's going great. So it's three lives, five minutes, and just whoever wins, wins. No items, anything like that. So you're learning a new skill and you're just getting better at the game as it progresses. And what's awesome is the kids are showing amazing growth. So we actually keep a win percentage of their record throughout the entire season so that they can see their growth and the parents can see that and track it as well so that they know that they're getting something out of it. So it's just a, an amazing time, honestly. And you recently reopened the digital studios at the YMCA. We actually spoke to some of the kids and their parents there. One parent, Bita Ntambakwa, has been bringing her son Derek to the esports league for about a year and a half. And, you know, she really believes it helped him find his niche. Take a listen. I firmly believe that it's not so much gaming in and of itself that's isolating. It's, um, you know, trying to find that sense of community. Like, not all kids are going to be baseball players or play basketball and that kind of sporting, you know, environment. Um, but it's nice that the Y is doing esports to attract a different community. And I think, you know, my son in particular, he's been able to find his tribe. So um, I think that's a huge plus. Yeah, and another parent, Joan Grace, also liked that gaming brought kids together. You're still playing a video game, but it's, you know, having this sense of, like, community with other people. And, you know, you can hear it, too, like all the laughter and, you know, other people just kind of buzzing around. <laughs> I mean, so it sounds like the eSports program has really helped these kids find their community, find their tribe. 
Tell us more about that. It's been really amazing watching these kids like open up and blossom. Derek has been with us for quite a while. And I actually remember the first time we had an in-person meetup and Derek showed up. So one of our other participants was there first. He had a security blanket with him. He was really nervous, didn't really know how to interact with us because he had only heard my voice and seen my video a few times throughout the season. Uh, but as soon as he heard Derek's voice, whenever he came into the room, he just knew. And the two of them just clicked instantly. They've been buddies ever since. They chat a lot now. They even play games outside of our esports community. And it, it's just amazing to watch him learn and grow. And one of the things I'm going to start challenging Derek with, actually, and I spoke with his mother, Vita, about this, is he has the capacity to then now learn and coach the new kids that are coming in. So with the in-person model, we're going to try and set up little mini leaders that can teach the kids who are new to the game. Because we actually have a lot of kids who've never played Smash Brothers before that join our league. And by the end of it, they actually show a lot of growth and you know become very well-skilled at the game after a couple seasons with us, which is amazing to see. That was Christian Chamberlain, the Digital Enrichment Coordinator at YMCA Mission Valley, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Heidman. To hear the whole Midday Edition show on eSports, look for the KPBS Midday Edition podcast. And moving to more traditional sports, an SDSU professor is trying to prevent concussions in football. SciTech reporter Thomas Fudge tells us how. The injuries that come with sports are often the result of impact. This is especially true of football. George Youssef, a mechanical engineer at San Diego State, has created a new kind of foam for use in football helmets. He says protective helmets need to do two things. You want to reduce the impact as much as possible, and you want to spread it on time as long as possible. So another way you want to allow the body to react naturally to the incoming load. And keep that load below a safety threshold. So far, tests of the material have been done in the lab using sensors that mimic the human brain. Ultimately, Yusuf says he wants to partner with a company that makes football helmets to see if concussions are reduced as players' heads collide with the ground and with other helmets. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. And before you go, hockey fans will get a rare treat later this year when the NHL returns to San Diego. Yesterday, the Anaheim Ducks announced they'll play a preseason game at Pechanga Arena September 29th. That's when they'll host the LA Kings. This will be the Anaheim Ducks' first preseason game in San Diego since 1994. Pechanga Arena is home to the San Diego Gulls, a Ducks affiliate. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. Join us again tomorrow for the day's top local news. Plus, a local teacher has tips on preventing or lessening the summer slide. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great Wednesday. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu.